Welcome to Box Out Banter, where we come hard and we come whenever we decide to. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'm Chris Okamura. Joining me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. How's it going, Jordan? I am just going to move past that one because I know what I'm talking <laughs> about. And uh... <laughs> it, it was it was honestly, and I think if anyone watched basketball over the weekend, that was like the, the takeaway from the weekend. And Doris Burke, I love Doris Burke, and we both love Doris Burke. But she has a couple of lines every couple of weeks. She has a line where you go, "Wait, what did you say?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's not like RJ. It's not like RJ where like Richard Jefferson when he says something, you're like he knows fully and aware of what he's saying. Yep, yeah. And he's and he's and he's memeing and he's he's making a joke. Doris Burke says stuff, and you go, "Does she know?" Yeah, um, you know, I'm just not gonna touch this one <laughs> um, Too sticky for you? Dor- yeah door is doors is a awesome color commentator and uh <laughs> yes uh, she probably could have worded that a bit better but um speaking of richard jefferson pay that man all the money by the way um uh, dude he had a, he had a well, line he probably makes a lot of money anyway because he does color commentary for uh the yes network and espn at the same time and does road tripping on uninterrupted, but uh, Richard Jefferson's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely, he's great. He had the he had the line of he's talking about Dame Dollar. Oh yeah, I he's think, like, I think I, I, given that a uh, given that uh, I'm the I am the black person in this pod, I should I should be the one to paraphrase yes, this joke. You, raise, you paraphrase this joke, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, the uh, Dame Dollar Dollar thing, and then Richard Jefferson just saying, "Always go with the A, never use the R." <laughs> <laughs> that was I, I it was one of those like double takes i was like wait w- what did he say and then i just started dying laughing and good, the funny part is it was dave pash yeah it was dave pash who was uh doing the play-by-play with uh richard he just did not say anything <laughs> he just completely well, so what do you, moved what past do you it. say it, what you, do you say you cannot say anything or else you will get roasted and maybe that's a that was one of those you remember back in the Grantland days where Bill and Jalen had those "Don't Get Fired" segments with Jacoby, yeah, and stuff. That was a that for Richard Jefferson. That wasn't a "Don't Get Fired" moment for Dave Pash. I imagine that was a, all right. I'm just don't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a just I'm a I'm a piece out of this one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, give Richard Jefferson all of the money because whenever I watch net games, I mean they've already had good broadcast teams, but adding RJ to that team is just it's. It's good to have him in basketball media. There's a few rising uh, basketball, former NBA basketball media stars. So yes, uh, I would say I would say Gilbert Arenas's podcast is another one of those to shout out. Yeah, uh, yeah, we talk about that quite a bit. But uh, I do want to say the great thing about Lamelo being really, really good and and sort of showing out this year. And we're getting the Lamelo the the, the Lamelo quota out early on this podcast. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not. I'm, I'm uh, the thing. The thing that I always kind of lean towards is like, hey, these Hornets commentators are amazing. They're awesome. They really <laughs> are. They're like that. Every, I, I don't know who the play by play guy's name is, but he is just <laughs> he's just awesome. <laughs> Dude, he's great. And the thing is, like, I would have never known, and I think most people would never known if like Lamelo highlights weren't everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, dude, these guys deserve a rate. These are some of the best like play-by-play calls i've ever heard 
Yeah. And they're just like not they're they're just like mundane kind of everyday highlights, but man, they he makes them seem so hype. <laughs> yeah, like the Hornets color comment or the Hornets uh play by play and uh the play by play team and the whole broadcast. It's one of those broadcasts too where it's like, okay, yeah, every broadcast team for their local team is gonna be a little bit of a homer or whatever, right? But like they're they're objective in their analysis, they're engaging, they talk about I don't want my broadcast to be serious all the time, but, you know, they talk about the game. They, you know, whenever they do ramble, it's actually, you know, funny and endearing. Like, Del Curry is also just, I think all the Currys are awesome. So, uh, and he does a great job uh, color commentating. And then just the whole LaMelo and oh my goodness. And just the way that I'm going to, I need to look up the Hornets play-by-play announcer uh name right now because it's slipping my mind but um sam farber they're just they're they're both incredible and uh it's just it it adds to the uh hornets games you know because i've watched a lot this year and it's not just lamello and the rest of that team but the play-by-play broadcasting just makes it really fun to watch yeah absolutely it's, Sorry, uh, it's Chris it's been, Kroger. It's been a joy. Yeah, it's been a joy to watch watch Hornets games this year and uh, and see them kind of do their thing. And I'm I'm so happy that they're getting the recognition now. Uh, and again, they deserved the recognition before, but I think that the the thing now is like now there's nope. Eric Collins, highlights. I messed up again. This, this Hornets, <laughs> great podcast. Hornets highlights everywhere. Uh, and so yeah, it's it's great to see that going around. Um, but I, I do have an off-topic question to start the show, Jordan. I do. So we got uh, we got the Thinking Basketball episode today. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, the I saw, actually, James. I saw it earlier today, the LeBron yeah, James one. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Also, Ben Taylor, great work, as always. Uh, again, if, you don't, if you've listened to us enough and you haven't gone to listen to Thinking Basketball, what's wrong with you? We talk about this every week. <laughs> For real. Uh, the uh, the so Greatest Peak lo- series is amazing. Absolutely. And so watching LeBron James episode, I've always felt that, that – Miami LeBron was peak LeBron. Like, that's just something that I've always felt. Uh, and, like, listening to D-Wade and listening to a bunch of other people talk about it this year, what, in your mind, is peak LeBron? So, hmm. so it is, for me, it is 2013 LeBron. Like, to me, that's the best version of LeBron that I have seen. I think 2009 LeBron is also right up there. Okay. Just just because I haven't seen that combination of speed, su- size, and athleticism. Uh, I think Ben Taylor pointed it out in the video, but LeBron in Miami was a little bit bigger. His first step might not have been as quick, although he wasn't, you know, he wasn't any less explosive. He was more explosive. But 2013, the 2012-2013 um, LeBron was ridiculous. And... It's he. What was it? He averaged twenty six. He averaged almost twenty seven a game. Eight rebounds, seven assists, and he shot forty percent from three that year, and almost fifty seven percent from the field. And there was the one stretch where he shot six straight games. He shot more than sixty percent from the field while averaging thirty, and now broke a record. Like, and not only that, he was 
in the argument for defensive player of the year, probably should have won it. That was the year where really we realized analytics were taking over for basketball, even though there still isn't a great defensive stat that has been created yet. Uh, Marcus all ended up winning that one. Um, but LeBron came in second and he always jokes about how Mark has his trophy. Yeah. Um, as you know, but, uh, that season was just it seemed like lebron just mastered basketball but i think his all-time great game was the one that was one that he lost and that was game one of the 2018 nba finals that was the best game i've ever seen lebron play um the jr game yeah the jr game which just goes to show you how bad that blunder was because lebron had 51 8 and 8 on high efficiency in a damn NBA Finals game, and it was ruined by the fact that J.R. Smith could not remember the time and score <laughs> in, yeah. uh, in the game one. But that, and if you're talking about one peak all time game, that was, uh, to me, that was the best I've seen LeBron play a whole season. 2012 2013 LeBron was a monster. So I think that's his peak for me. Yeah, I think that. To me, the the LeBron in Miami was just a freight train, and it's something physically I've never seen before. I've never seen someone dominate like that. Like obviously, we've seen Shaq, and like we grew up around Shaq. Yep. And so we saw like the dominant presence. I've never seen someone like even Orlando Shaq, like as mobile and as athletic as my as Orlando Shaq was. Like he wasn't Miami LeBron was something different. Yeah, there's a different kind of monster. And the thing was, I think second stint Cleveland LeBron to me was like the perfect mix of like the athleticism with the intelligence and like knowing when to pick your spots. And where I just go, I just go like he is the perfect basketball player because like first stint LeBron, first stint Cleveland LeBron was the LeBron that couldn't shoot and the one that kind of just went full ham the entire time. Yeah, Miami LeBron was like, from tip, I'm going to come at you and just drive to the basket and just destroy you from tip. I think LeBron Where, said before, like, going to Miami was like going to a university, kind of, like, learning, yeah. you know, the ropes and all that. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you could see that, too. Like, as the, the first year Miami to the, the last year Miami, like, he was a completely different player. Yep. Yeah, he absolutely um, was. And so, and he took all that to Cleveland, where then he took a step back and was like, "Okay, cool. Let me let me let Kyrie cook. Let uh, the idea of like him just being able to to do all of that." And then I think even now too, like D Wade brought up, I think on Gilbert's podcast, he brought up that now is best LeBron, and I think there's a lot of merit to that of just saying like. Because, again, it's the, it's the thing of, like, we saw it with Kobe, we saw it with Jordan, where then they get older, they lose the athleticism, but they gain the intelligence, right? Yeah. But, like, LeBron losing the athleticism just brings him down to, like, he's you not know, the best anymore. He's still, like, percentile top, human yeah, he's still like, top 10, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of, like, the, where you get the thing of, like, okay, well, he's still, like, LeBron has been probably the smartest player in the NBA and the most athletic player in the NBA for the past decade which is insane to think about and uh you know i get i kind of get what d wade is saying too because i remember last year i was saying that you know this like this version of lebron 
is my favorite LeBron. Well, at least last year's LeBron. Um, I don't know what it is. Because, like, me and you were talking about earlier in the season, um, and this is a different topic for a different day, but, like, we clearly saw that LeBron was kind of coasting, but it seems like, and I he's picked it up, obviously, and he, I think he's back to the same level of defense he was last year, but it seems like we kind of forgot, like, the first three weeks of the season, month of the season, where we saw LeBron kind of coasting, but people seem to think that he wasn't, which confused yeah. me a little bit, but last season was my favorite LeBron season just because he was trying to get on defense even though he's usually put on the weaker assignment and uh has to defend the best player when he has to he was like all right I'm gonna decide to lead the league in assists and we all thought okay maybe LeBron will transition into being a post player like a Carl Malone type but with passing nope point guard lead the league in assists for the first time in my career in year 17. And it was like a Clint Eastwood like style action movie where it was like the, he was showing all the young guns that he still was the <laughs> top player in the league, even, you know, some MVP candidates, some MVP winners. Um, and basically the whole league again, when he won the championship, but last year's LeBron was awesome. That's like, I would say that's like the peak of LeBron. LeBron's like mind his basketball mind because to be able to transition into and you know he's been a point guard basically his whole career but he had the ball in his hands a lot and he was dictating a lot in the Lakers offense last year even with Anthony Davis and he led the yeah. league in assists and it was like that 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 was what was impressive to me so if you want to talk about like if you want to separate the categories like I would say IQ wise this is probably LeBron's peak I would probably say his peak athleticism was that 2009. Miami. No, I'd say 2009. I think the combination of his size, even though he's probably a little bit smaller, but his first step, his speed, and his athleticism. Do you remember the um, game? The Pistons game? No, not the Pistons game. But uh, there was the a Pistons it was, game. It was a Cavs. Was like the... But no, it was. I was just talking about his athleticism. It was a Cavs Blazers game where LeBron didn't even finish the alley oop, but he caught the ball oh, like right. almost at the top of the backboard. Like, yeah. that was insane. And um, and uh, wow, Malcolm remember, Brogdon I just dunked all over there. Joel Embiid. <laughs> Sorry, I've... I just remember. No, I totally get it. The, I just remember sitting there during the. Pistons game and at the time I don't know if you remember right during that Pistons game was when LeBron was like the conversation started coming of like LeBron's coming for Kobe LeBron's coming for Kobe's yeah. title for best in the league and I remember as a Lakers supposed fan to be going, a Lakers like, Cavs finals that year yeah and I, remember, I remember going like I remember going like no like Kobe's still the best player in the world like whatever it doesn't matter and then LeBron had that that game against the, the playoff game against the Pistons where he literally carried them in the entire fourth quarter and overtime and I was like oh my god they can't stop him and it's the Pistons at like the not the peak of their power but it's, it's the Pistons like still when they were a defensive juggernaut yeah they and made it to like, like the Pistons made it to like six straight conference finals in that middle in that whole 2000s yeah and they were just dominant on defense yeah and like they were they couldn't stop LeBron at all Ben like, Wallace oh Sheed Tayshawn Prince Rip Chauncey like, they they gave they gave they they threw everything at LeBron and he just did not give a shit. I remember and it was so I was, impressive. I remember I was going back and forth between my, my best friend who lived next door to me was having people over 
and they weren't watching the game because <laughs> they didn't like sports. And so I was running back and forth in between my house and <laughs> house and watch. And they were like, where's Jordan going? And I was just like, oh, no. But also there was the catch where I wasn't allowed to watch TV on school days uh, yeah. growing up. So I had to sneak a lot of basketball in my time <laughs> growing up. So I had to like run up the stairs, make sure like nobody heard me like close the door in my room so I could have the, so they wouldn't hear me turn the TV on. It, I had a whole operation going, but I was going back and forth like what? And then I stayed for like that whole what was it the last like five minutes of that fourth quarter than the overtimes like I stayed over at my house at my own house for like a long time and my friend was like dude where are you <laughs> and I was just like shit shit uh, go away go back <laughs> like I'll be there I'll be back over but no uh that it the the dunks the shot making the clutch shots like this was when Skip Bayless was starting to you know gain his reputation as a LeBron, LeBron hater. but he just kept making bucket after bucket then of course we saw skip do mental gymnastics like he always does with his takes but um that and then i think to uh and then the last category the the player like skill wise and all that stuff i think miami lebron was at his best but if you're talking about all three of those mixing together that's why i would choose 2013 uh 2012 2013 as his peak yeah, it's getting it's getting to the point where I'm not entirely sure. Like I, Miami, <laughs> Miami LeBron to me has always been like, yeah, I've never seen anything like this, and it's absolutely insane. The thing now is like, even like Cavs, like second second stint Cavs LeBron and Laker LeBron is just a level where I go, damn, he knows what to do now, and yeah. he knows like where he like. There's no wasted energy. In anything he does, and it's also calculated. It reminds me of the the '96 Finals, the Jordan Finals, where he's clearly exhausted, but he knows like he knows exactly what needs to get done and like when he can take a break and when he needs to do everything. And, are, you, like, so, are you talking about the '98 Finals or the? Oh yeah, no, no '98 Finals. Sorry, not the '98. Yeah, you're talking finals. about the end of his yeah. three P, where he where was he clearly lo- exhausted. He was clearly exhausted. Scotty had a hurt. broke back. Rodman yeah, was out, like, basically. Yeah, and he is just exhausted. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a thing of like he understands the situation and he understands like where to pick his spots. And LeBron can do that so well now. Yeah. And it's not just at the end of games. He's doing it throughout the entire game of like, okay, they don't need me right now. I'm going to just chill. And like, it's so good to see him with someone like, like last year was great. And I told, co- I totally get where you're coming from of like the, of him leading the league and playing point guard, all that stuff. But it was, it was a kind of thing of like, I could see it sometimes take a toll over the course of a game where it's like, okay, he's a little too old to be doing this consistently, yeah. just stamina-wise. Where now with Schroeder, he has someone else to handle the ball and handle point guard duties. Where right. LeBron can now fully take his take take a chance that they Dennis give the ball. Like now it's my turn. And it it unlocked like Schroeder especially with Schroeder out, like I think that's why the Lakers were skating so hard was like with Schroeder out, it it took that away and LeBron had to go back to like He's not in playoff mode yet. Like he's, I don't even think he's fully in shape. I think like we started to see the the bubble and the short turnaround season play a toll. Yeah, over the course of those, like, I think four it's games, affecting a lot of teams. Season. Yeah, and but like with shorter back now, like LeBron can go back to like like last night they looked absolutely fantastic. 
obviously they're playing the Warriors, so it's a little easier. But the they looked like, oh, LeBron looks like now he can pick his spots and he's fully in control again. Yeah. It's uh, it's just terrifying to see him do this at age what thirty six. Yeah. And the thing that's thirty six. The thing that's crazy is like I can't imagine a world where LeBron is not a top ten player in the next five years. No, yeah, I, I can't either. Um, like, like he could still keep going for it's like five the Tom years. Brady thing at this point. Like, I just it, it, him and Tom Brady have defied the how in their respective sports how their respective positions age. Yeah, and, I think with Brady though, it's a little different because Brady's game was never predicated on like physicality or like predicated on any kind of thing where no, it's like, not. All, but like, quarterbacks Brady usually had, fall off a cliff around yeah, age but I mean, forty. Like Brady, Brady had like Brady's entire game is based off short passing game and like the dink and dunk kind of stuff. Where like, dude, LeBron's still fucking throwing down alley hoops and shit. <laughs> well, no, not this year. Now that Brady finally had some weapons, like I think. <laughs> I mean, they were throwing a little bit deeper, but, like, in general, his game is based predicate, mostly on, like, short dink and dunk kind of stuff. Like, that's, that's the bread and butter, right? Yeah, that is like, that is his reading coverages and getting the ball out quickly. Yeah, that was. Yeah, but, um, like, oh, my God, dude, LeBron's still, like, drowning the basket and bodying people up. And, like, he's, yeah. still, he's still doing, like, the highly physical stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, I cannot imagine a world where, like, even if he continues to decline physically inch by inch like in five years he's still gonna be a top five ten player in the world yeah no i i don't see any reason why either um but uh we should i wanted to talk about um a certain team i don't i don't want this uh to be a whole lebron pod even though we could yeah, yeah. on about lebron could, but, but no, i wanted to was, talk it, about that was um, an introductory question to get us into this pod because i felt like that, <laughs> that was, was an interesting topic no uh no that wasn't no it is because i i've had that conversation on my podcast a few times um but um i wanted to talk about the atlanta hawks and uh you know (laughs) nothing's nothing's working (laughs) yeah and how you know the shock shocker um you know expecting a 20 win team to all of a sudden leap into playoff contention is maybe somewhat unrealistic expectations you literally have to have like a few lucky things break your way but uh for the listener the news came out today that the hawks have you know, fired uh, Lloyd Pierce, the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Lloyd Pierce was a assistant coach under Brett Brown uh, during the process. And then obviously through, you know, the first Jimmy, all the way basically through the uh, first Jimmy Butler team um, right around that time. And, uh, or no, right before the Jimmy Butler team. But um, basically Lloyd Pierce was hired to, mana rebuild um they lost the Luka Doncic trade they got Trey Young who is a good player I'm still I'm still trying to give myself a few years before I completely assess Trey Young's ceiling as a player but I just find his game insufferable this year um I like it's weird wow complete flip yeah, um, well, I wouldn't say it's a complete flip. I think Trey Young's a good player. Um, he's a good passer. Um, well, we had this discussion at the beginning of the year where I was like, I'm not that high on him, and you're like, I'm pretty high on him. <laughs> well, like, 
I I'm high on him as a as like a high offensive player. My whole question has always been like with everybody else, right? It's like, um, okay, can you build around the fact that your point guard is literally a sieve, and also his usage is out of control? And um, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, offenses with Trey Young having the ball the last few years has been good, but also defensively, it's just it's horrid. And then this year. They're still trying to find themselves, but my point is Lloyd Pierce was hired to oversee a rebuilding situation. Um, maybe they gave Trey Young too much too soon in terms of, you know, complete control of the offense, especially because he became a player that nobody expected to be right away. And for some reason, a Hawks team that was last year, the 2019-2020 Hawks, was worse than the Hawks team the year before that, the first year Pierce took over. Then they make a few signings, and it's all based basically around Trey Young. And it's Danilo Gallinari. He's been in and out of the lineup. You know, that's totally not unexpected from Gallinari considering his injury history. Then um, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been hurt for a lot of the year. And now, you know, ever since DeAndre Hunter went down with his injury, the Hawks have really just fallen apart. Um... My point is Lloyd Pierce did not get a fair shake in Atlanta. Yeah, I kind of figured they'd be in trouble this year the minute they hired Nate McMillan as uh, their assistant coach who was just let go from Indiana last season. Um, that probably wasn't a good sign. But L Lloyd Pierce was given a crappy situation. He was told to head something, and they completely changed course and yeah. expected a 20-win team to leap into and even if it's the east right there are still a few teams that are above the hawks in that tier especially now that the year is bearing out the way it's been bearing out like the knicks are better you still got the heat the celtics the raptors they're starting to figure stuff out even though they had slow starts the hornets have gotten better like the hawks are now 11th they are two games out of the 10th seed which is the last seed for the playing game trey young's kind of still figuring out stuff um i think you know for there were some games where maybe he was thinking about the fact that teams and mainly his idol steve nash were calling out his bullshit fall uh, foul drawing and look <laughs> i am a james harden guy a stan even and you're probably thinking well how can you be a james harden stan and complain about trey young's foul drawing i don't know i guess because harden not only Harden is not only a foul drawer. Yes, he does grift. He does, you know, call some BS fouls. But there is at least a mastery when Harden does it. Like when he has somebody on an island one-on-one -on -one and he drives by them and the guy has his hand in the cookie jar and Harden happens to swing his arms up for a layup and a foul like he did since his time in OKC. I'm like, okay, that's like a chess move type of foul draw I can admire. Right. I do hate when Harden does like the Chris Paul where they're running off a screen and the defender's chasing him and there's no way he could stop and so Harden stops. That's the foul that Trey Young has been using a lot this year. And it ha it has become very it it's smart, don't get me wrong, but it has become as just from an aesthetic view, it's not fun to watch. And then also just look at his efficiency when Trey Young doesn't shoot all those free throws. Like he's still a very inefficient player. So my thing is 
why hire this coach and then change court when is the ownership and the front office going to hold themselves accountable and not fire because i'm afraid the same thing's going to happen to steven silas in houston because ownership's cheap and now yeah. there's another mark on blackhead coaches so that's my rant for the end of this yeah i feel the same way this is the same way i feel about uh, david fisdale who i think is a fantastic coach yep i think like he got the and it comes down to the thing that's happening. Same thing happened in the NFL where teams just don't have patience. Teams and fan bases just don't have patience. And it's a thing of like, okay, this wasn't the plan. Obviously, Fizz was building something with RJ Barrett. He had a great relationship with RJ Barrett. They were playing young guys. Um, I think that, you know, given more time, I think Fizz could have did a great job with the Knicks uh, like Thibodeau's doing now. But I think just in general, not to get sidetracked on Fizz, but it's, it's the same thing here. No, where, it's in the same umbrella. Yeah, where the plan... The plan changed, very obviously changed. They spent a ton of money that no one expected them to spend this year um, on, like, win-now guys. Like, Gallo was a guy that, I think we said at the beginning of the year, like, Gallo was a guy that you, like, I expected a championship contender to pick up, and, like, he's the perfect guy that, hey, he's not going to be around all regular season because he gets hurt every single year. Yep. But but he's also going to be someone that's going to be around for the playoffs and is going to be a valuable contributor on a playoff run mm-hmm. and he unlocks um, versatile lineups that's his th- whole thing absolutely and i think again it goes down to a thing of yeah it's important that you have a championship can never have a guy i don't know what he brings to a team like the hawks which is why that was such a confusing signing to me the especially given the the players they have and, and you know you have young pieces like cam reddish who can probably fill that a similar role there um, that you would want to build up and grow rather than spending a ton of money on Gallo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, to me, it's just, it's a, it's a sad thing where, where teams get a shiny new piece and they go, Hey, we can, we can do a thing. It's like, no, you really can't. Yeah. Uh, and you're banking on, you're putting a lot of pressure on a young kid who to take a step when you don't really know for sure, if he can take that step. Well, you're not know. just Trey Young, but a lot of young kids to take a step. Yeah, <laughs> Like, there's a so, lot of young players on that team. Yeah, And you're asking... I, I just think you're asking them to do something that you're not necessarily sure that they can do. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're betting a lot on that. And the scapegoat, obviously, is on the coach. That's the easy scapegoat, right? Because you can't get out of these contracts. You can't... The easy thing is... is just to, you know, sack the coach was unfortunate. And it's a terrible situation to be in. Um, like, I, I thought for I thought for a while, like, if the Nets thing didn't work out, like, if this if suddenly the Nets imploded, like, if the Harden thing didn't work out and it imploded, I thought Nash would have been the scapegoat for that too, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, he would have let that go. And I think, like, it's unfortunate that it keeps happening to, like, black coaches is seemingly put in this situation. Or... And it's super... Or they get passed over because Minnesota fired Ryan Saunders a few weeks ago. And that same night, somehow magically, they did a whole interview process. They searched a thousand They searched a thousand head coaching candidates. But that same night, they hired Chris Finch from an active playoff team, the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Which <laughs> and is, I'm not they passed over sure David Vanderpool, <laughs> who was right on the bench. Who has, by all... And look, David Vanderpool, by all accounts and reports, he's like one of those assistants that you hear a lot around the league, like the one of the hot, the one of the hot candidates that <laughs> to be the next head coach. Bless you. And um, Thank you. 
and David Vanderpool was one of those guys, had him on the bench, but nope, let's just bring in Chris Finch and hire a whole new staff. And by the way, in the same vein of holding front offices accountable, I don't want to blast Garrison Rosas yet because I think Maury Disciples are always smart and he's only like a season and change in so far. But goddamn, Glenn Taylor is such an awful owner. <laughs> he yeah. is such an awful owner. When can people just look at Glenn Taylor and see that the constant in Minnesota through all the playoff, well, through the early KG years and failing KG, and then when KG, I was KG say, leaves... I was going to say, go go ask KG how he feels about Glenn Taylor. <laughs> yeah, go ask KG. KG literally cussed on Inside the NBA. He was just like, and you got an owner in Glenn Taylor who don't know shit about basketball. And he said it right there, hot mic, live TV. <laughs> just right there. And there... Like, there was an athletic piece that came out uh, yesterday, too, about how Ricky Rubio pretty much just said, this is terrible. We're not, we're not even we're learning anything, from yeah. the same mis- – we're, lear- we're not even learning from the same mistakes we're making over and over again. It's, it's basically – it's not a fun environment right now. And I – like, the one constant there has been ownership. They have made it to the playoffs once since 2004. And that was when Tom Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler, you know, people who care about, you know, winning and building something, that that was the only time they made the playoffs. And then, you know, Tibbs gets fired, Jimmy gets traded, he has that infamous practice. Well, Jimmy got traded first, then Tibbs was to follow. But what's been the one constant there? Because <laughs> they changed GMs. Garrison Rosas was hired last or before last season. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sad. And, like, again, it... It, dysfunctional organization is dysfunctional organization. Like they're just terrible. It comes from ownership. It comes from again. I don't. I don't like turning everything into a race thing because I don't. I, sometimes I think that's a little overblown in some scenarios. But like this is like clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, he doesn't. It's clearly it. I don't. Want, it's not a Donald Sterling situation, but like it's. It's like this. Clearly, there's a problem here. Yeah, like there, it's a, it's a, it's a problem across all sports, and in these times too, when the NBA and you know the NFL, they're spouting messages about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff, like basically going along with the wave, and then all of a sudden they're just like, oh yeah, w- oh yeah, you guys forgot we're we're a corporation, <laughs> like we these messages are empty, but. Dude, like, just just going back to the dysfunctional thing for a second. Like, when is Carl Anthony Towns gonna request a trade? Like, when is Bradley Beal gonna request a trade? Because it is very clear. Like, you, to me, it is very clear you could build a championship team around Carl Anthony Towns in the same way that I believe you can around Devin Booker. Like, these guys are not good stats bad team guys like i hate it when guys like bill simmons go at carl anthony towns for being good stats bad team guys to me they're like a good stats bad team guy is somebody like andrew wiggins like hassan the, uh, whiteside hassan whiteside and andrew wiggins those are some of the <laughs> prominent examples where you put up empty calorie stats and usually for perimeter scores or offensive players it comes with inefficient numbers booker and carl anthony towns have been above average efficiency efficiency wise even in bad situations like carl anthony towns is pretty much he could be a 50 40 90 guy that's how good this guy is offensively yeah and so by like, the way 
every single year, I have been blown away by his progress as a passer. He is an incredible passer. Like, if if I'm just seeing ways you could, to me, in my little mind or whatever, I'm seeing ways to build around Carl Anthony Towns. And a lot of the scenarios are not what Minnesota has right now. And I just Carl Anthony Towns, he eventually he has to, you know, think for himself. I know he's going through a lot right now. So that's probably the last thing he's thinking about. Um, but eventually down the road, like, when are we going to realize that, it, that there's only been one constant in Minnesota? Yeah, I think the I totally agree with you on Towns that talent wise he is phenomenal and I have no doubt that he could win somewhere. I think the only pushback that I have is everything that I've heard from people around Towns and, and just kind of mindset wise. And my thing too goes like if you see everything that's going around you, like Ricky Ruby has been there what a year, not even a year. Not even 20, 25 games already. Yeah, not even. And it's and, a second time and, back in Minnesota, <laughs> right? And he sees problems and he sees the issues. And the thing is, like, if you're the star and you're the leader and you're not voicing these issues, I have questions about like where your head's at. Like, are you okay doing just the, like I haven't heard Towns any kind of discomfort from Towns of like the losing or anything like that. Like, I really haven't. He's just kind of going out there and playing. And it could be his, his personality, and, like, I'm not going to judge him on that. But it does give me some pause of, like, okay, if my leader doesn't care or if my leader's not vocal about us losing, like, it does it does set a weird culture thing. And this is something that Jimmy Butler's brought up, too. Uh, yeah. But, again, like, I don't – I don't talent-wise, he is one of the most incredible offensive talents I've ever seen. He moves like a yeah. guard. He, he – he takes pull up three, like step back pull up threes, and he's like seven two. And like, and the crazy thing is, like, he gets you know blasted for taking threes, and it's like he shoots forty four percent from three, yeah. dude. Like that is a if it like, um, not to bring him up again, but like, I Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo have their Sunday podcast back, right? And they were, yeah. I remember they were just. They were talking about Towns, and they were saying, like, well, you know, Carl Anthony Towns will just take his three-pointers. And Bill Simmons was like, when can he realize, like, I'm bigger than everybody? I should just take a jump hook. And I'm like, he does that, but he also shoots, like, 42% from three. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I am – okay, I understand, you know, Boomer's uh, – their desire to have their thirst uh, quenched with – 10,000 post-ups a game. And I'm not even saying Carl Anthony Towns should shoot 12 threes a game. I think he should shoot a good amount of them. But when are we going to try to stop putting these skilled guys in a box? Like, Joel Embiid is shooting 40% from three this year, and all I hear Chuck and Shaq and all these old guys talk about is how He's posting up more, and he's shooting less threes. He's taking the same amount of threes this year, basically. Like, 0.3 less attempts uh, from three. Like, it's not the threes that are the problem. It's not the threes Carl Anthony Towns is taking that's the problem. Um, He could do everything on the court, but the guys around him, and yes, I do think in some ways, well, I can't even really 
I don't even want to try to get in his head this year just because he's been through so much with the pandemic yeah, and all that stuff. Absolutely. But like, I'm giving him a pass this year. After really the Jimmy year, Butler but... year, I really do feel like he did take some because he has, well, maybe it's generic, you know, media scrum jargon, but he has talked about like, you know, not being happy in a losing situation. But he wa- he said recently he wants to stick it out in Minnesota. And I'm, just like this, the same comments Brad Beal is making about the Wizards, and I'm just like, guys, like, but the Wizards, you know, speaking of the Wizards, they've been resurgent, <laughs> actually. Yeah, uh, seven they've come and, out hot. Yeah, they've been, uh, they've been, uh, you know, coming in hot for that playing seed, the tenth seed, <laughs> right behind the Hawks. But um, yeah, that was just my. I wanted to talk about these two teams because it's interesting how, like, do I think sometimes coaches. Do I call for coaches to be fired if I don't like stuff that they're doing sometimes? Yes, I do. But I do think coaching does become overrated because at the end of the day, we always say that it's a player's league. We see all the player empowerment. We see teams building offenses around players like heliocentric offenses like the Mavericks or the Rockets, etc. Like, it's... We just... Uh, I don't... I just don't understand... Um, you know what? I forgot the point I was going to make. I had a good point, too. Uh, you know what? We should just move on and talk about... I wanted to talk about the fourth seed in Knicks because uh, for podcasting flow purposes, I'm not going to try to sit here and remember what I was going to bring up for five minutes. But um, how about the Knicks, dude? <laughs> yeah, I'm... Dude, Tibbs, Tibbs deserves a a... Uh, coach of the year vote for me. Like I know a lot of people are going to give it to to Dan Quinn and or is it Dan Quinn in, in no, it's Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder, there you go. And uh, who's Dan Quinn? Falcon Why is Dan coach. Quinn? That's right. That <laughs> Falcon head coach Dan Quinn. <laughs> yeah. So I, he's obviously or ex head the, coach, the, I should say. Right. He's going to get the votes, uh, obviously, and well deserved. But I think that Tib- Tibbs deserves some credit here for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think like when you watch Knicks games, it's not just obviously they ha- they're playing better and like they're hitting shots and, and yeah, RJ Barrett's playing a, a more efficient in stretches. I think he's still pretty inefficient overall, but I think he's playing better in stretches. Uh, Randall's obviously taking a huge leap here. And I think again, it comes down to not just, not just that they're playing harder, like all t- all Tibbs teams do, right? Like they're mm-hmm. not just playing harder. But schematically, they are flying after the basketball. They're playing some great defense. They're they're hustling. Yeah, they are. Their offense is constantly in motion. Uh, they're getting to the basket. They're driving the basket. They're getting open shots. Like the way that their offense. It's is, one of those. I like the process, but the results, you know, because they're still twenty fourth in offensive rating, but. The motion, the ball movement, all that stuff. You're right about that. They're, they're screening for each other. Like Randall's, Randall's doing the the stuff that we always credit Bam and like Draymond for doing, of like getting the top of the key and like distributing or making the right play or step back basket. threes like, with nothing but net. I'm just like, what? Yeah, like he is. <laughs> and again, it goes. We talked about this earlier. Of like, I think Randall's always been the kind of guy that uses that athleticism and bullies to the basket and goes full speed like a freight train where I think Tibbs has really slowed him down mm-hmm. and really said, okay, take your time, be smart, 
and make the right play, and he's doing that. And you can see the progression here. I don't know if it's him getting older. I don't know if it's Tibbs. Maybe it's a combination of both. But they're, he's really taking the step of like understanding the speed of the NBA and like where he fits in it. Where yeah, you you can pick your spots. Like you don't have to go full speed every time and get an offensive foul. Like you know you can you can take your time, use your athleticism, use your mobility. Because I still think he is. I always thought he was a talented guy physically. It was just mm-hmm. a thing of dude. You don't need to bowl your way to the basket every time. Yeah, the um, spin moves and all that. The spin move, the infamous spin move, everybody made fun of. Yeah, on Twitter and like, last year and, and stuff. It, it was something where the recently the story came out that once LeBron came to town, he told the Lakers, like, don't offer me, don't, like, don't match, like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. And the Lakers are like, okay, cool, like, you know, we'll just let you go, which is, by the way, and I know I'm a Laker fan and a little bit of a homer, so, like, when I say this, I say there's a little little bit of bias here, but, like, man, the Lakers take care of players better than any other team in the (laughs) league. (laughs) Really, really, like, they just let him go because he asked them to. Yeah. And it's like, that's a trade asset. Like that's something that you have control over. Like you shouldn't be that willing to like, if a player just asks, then obviously we would have wanted him back. But I think like him playing with LeBron could have been a really cool thing of like learning how to slow down. Cause I think they have similar styles of game of how they, when they get to the basket and like going downhill and LeBron was like that early on in his career of like, let's just drive to the basket and make a move and try to get there. Uh, where Randall, now he's starting to figure that out. And I think he would have figured it out a little faster and probably a little more efficiently in playing with with a player like LeBron. But at the same time, he's evolving in a way that I never expected him to. I never expected him to get it. Yep. And uh, it's it's and extremely surprising. It. Yeah, he's gotten it, and it's extremely surprising, and I'm, I'm happy to see it. Uh, I think the next step for them to be dangerous is R.J. Barrett showing up every night. Because I think... Randall, Quigley, Randall and Quigley have been their two constants and really, really strong. Well, I was looking it up for R.J. Barrett because I think he's been better as of late. And I looked it up. The last, the basically after game nine, so from games ten through twenty-five, he's played every game this year. But yeah. uh, he's shooting forty-one percent from three on three attempts per game. So the attempts could be up a little bit, but after sh- starting off shooting the ball not well from three, he's been shooting consistently for. A pretty good amount now and uh that's that's the progress i like to see from barrett because i like barrett's tools as yeah. a point guard especially as a big not as a i don't know if he'll be a point guard ultimately but he's like a big combo guard he could pass a little bit um you know make basic reads uh he is a big body and i think the one thing that was always with me where i had my reservations about him was the jump shot um, I know he works hard on it. I know Drew Hamlin's his trainer, um, who has produced a lot of good NBA players and a few that are all-stars and MVP candidates this year. Um, but I like where RJ's progress is at. He still has his ups and downs. Um, Emmanuel quickly has become a revelation in New York. Uh, he he has single-handedly brought back life into the New York Knicks fan base. Um Shooting a very rookie-esque 40%, but 38% from three. He has a nice floater game. He's getting to the line three times a game, which is actually a really good sign for, you know, rookie guards. Uh, That means he's getting into the paint a lot. He has a nice little floater game. He's just competent out there. He's a solid point-of-attack defender as well. Um, Obviously, still has a lot to go on that end. But he needs to be getting more minutes, I think. And, you know, getting Derrick Rose and 
Well, Austin Rivers hasn't really been playing, but getting Derrick Rose, I think, is a mis. Hey man, I mean, it's gotta, a Tibbs move. I get it. This is you got to find some find someone in your life that loves you as like much as Tibbs, Tibbs loves Derrick Rose. Rose and Jimmy Butler <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy uh, Butler. Both of those so, guys. It's like so here. I, I do want to bring this up before before we move off with RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett. So the last ten games, right? Just just looking at shooting percentage or field goal percentage. The last ten games. So starting on. February 7th and going down it's 16% 36% 23% 25% 57% 45% 50% 11% 62% 47% and 61% so that's kind of the thing where I mean like there's yeah, a the lot of wild really good in there lately. and then there's a lot of like where what is going on with you today yeah. and it's not like he's taking a low number of attempts he's still taking even in the bad shooting games he's still taking like 10-15 shots a game um, yeah, and it's it's like okay, we need for for me because I still view Barrett as a potential like superstar guy. Like I still think he has the tools to do that, and I think like he. Oh, you think he'll be, be a superstar type guy? I think he'll be. I think he can be the guy in the same way like Jimmy Butler started slow and then became the guy. I still think he can be that kind of player, like a late um, bloomer. Yeah. So like I still I I see a lot of parallels between him and Jimmy Butler in terms of how their careers are going, um, and I, again I don't know if he'll ever get there. Yeah. But I he his tools are I still I love the tools that he has. I think he still has a great first step. I think he still has good form. Uh, I think he has a lot of he's he has a perfect body type and strength of the basket for a guard. Like I just, I love what he has to work with, but it's a matter of does he get there? And like this kind of stuff is concerning for yeah. a player. Of like we're not. When my expectations are that, this is concerning still. Um, but again, he's still really young. It's only his second year. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think if he can take that next step, because when he's when he's good, when he's efficient, and he is playing well, the Knicks are really hard to beat. When he, when him, <laughs> just imagine saying I, that. I know, which is insane to think about when you. But when you watch, I don't know how many Knicks games you've watched this year. I've watched, uh, uh, I've watched quite a bit of Knicks games, my friend. <laughs> I, wa- I watched I watched the eighteen and, and seventeen is... New York Knicks are fourth se- are the fourth seed in the Eastern <laughs> Conference right now. <laughs> so it's so fascinating because the thing is, like, Randall's consistent. Randall is a consistent twenty twenty ten and eight guy. He's gonna make an is... All NBA team this year. Yeah, which is crazy, crazy to think about. But so to me, yeah, he is, he's the consistent. Quigley's been pretty consistent. To me, the X factor has been RJ Barrett. Where when they're winning games, he's typically on. Yeah. When they're when they're struggling to stay in games or close games, like he's kind of having an off game. Where every game I see where he's having a solid game, he's performing really well. The Knicks are winning by like double digits. Yep. Yeah, and that's where. I think uh, that's why you see why the Knicks are still like 24th or 23rd in offensive efficiency. Um, A lot of players that make the offense, you know, get going. Um, They're still young players, still trying to learn how to be consistent. Um, It's just, it's really fun to see. It's a shame also that, uh, you know, most of the season has been played without fans because Knicks fans are throwing a party, you know, down Broad Street, just basically celebrating this season because they finally have a point guard they like. They finally have a star player. Julius Randle, let's just say he's been playing like a star player this year. Like, he, he's an all-star. Yeah. He's averaging, 
you know, 23, 11, and 5, over five, five and a half assists a game on very high efficiency, a 58.9 true shooting percentage and 42% from three, like – like I said, like I said a few minutes ago, he's going to make an All NBA team, and if the Knicks stay up this high, he it would be well deserved. I think even if wherever the Knicks finish in the top eight, I think Julius Randle, if he continues up, if he continues this play to close out the year, he's got to make an All NBA team. Uh, the young and scrappy Knicks. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? It's such a weird concept of man. Remember we were talking earlier in the season. Or in preseason, we're talking about like what the fuck are the Knicks doing? Yeah, uh, I do. I do want to talk about uh, uh, what the fuck is this team doing with the Pistons? Because there's rumors that they do want to trade for Spencer Dinwiddie. What the fuck are they doing? Were there rumors they wanted to trade for Spencer Dinwiddie? I think I, I've seen a lot of talk that they're looking to trade for Spencer Dinwiddie. I could be mistaken. I could have seen a yeah, bad I haven't headline. seen anything. I, I think the Pistons shouldn't be doing anything, <laughs> really. Um, well, that was my point. I was like, they I should don't be, know why they're trying to trade. They should trade for draft picks, if anything. They shouldn't be buyers. They should be sellers. Like, the team stinks. Yeah. Um, I, think, I, think, I think they were trying to... I think the thing I saw was that they were... They were inquire the nets were inquiring about some of the bigs that they have because we were talking about earlier how how they were inquiring how they stacked bigs for this this stock market Mm -hmm. um we talked about that in the beginning of the season they have diamond hands so they do they have diamond hands it's paying off uh but yeah they they were talking about that and apparently spencer dinwiddie came up as like compensation for the centers Mm mm-hmm and i was like why would you take back spencer dinwiddie with these assets that you <laughs> they would depend have... on the trade package too, um, or what? Aside from Dinwiddie, are the Pistons getting because yeah. like Dinwiddie Dinwiddie's hurt the too? So that do, that wouldn't make sense to me if they just got Dinwiddie back and they traded. That'd be malpractice. I'd be pissed if I was a <laughs> Pistons fan. <laughs> I'd be like, we better get some fucking draft picks with that. Like that's what I was saying. Like I just don't understand. Like if Spencer Dinwiddie is the is the core of the package that you're getting back, like I don't understand what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, then you're just, you're just throwing at that point, like. <laughs> yeah, they should they should absolutely be sellers. Blake Griffin's washed. I could tell you as somebody who has him on fantasy. Um, the Pistons had this weird thing earlier in the year where they were in a lot of close games. They were they were like two and twelve in close games, and you know they eked out a few against the Suns and the Celtics earlier in the year and stuff like that. But I think they have now fallen back down to earth. Um, they. They're the wor- they're basically the worst team in the league aside from uh no they're the second worst team in the league I was like who ha- who had the worst record the Timberwolves or the Pistons then I remember the Timberwolves had seven wins and have twenty eight losses but uh the Pistons are right Jesus, on their heels man. um but yeah they're fade not for good Cade. yeah f- fade for Cade uh shout out to Nick Agar Johnson who came up with that term that I will use forever uh, God fade- okay more more interesting question. If you're Cade, do you want to go to Detroit or Minnesota? Uh, rather go back to Oklahoma State. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I would. I guess if I had to choose, damn, 
If I had to choose, I probably I probably right? go to Minnesota. I think that I think actually that answers a little bit easier than what I'm letting on. Um, just because you still have Carl Anthony Towns, you still have uh, Anthony Edwards. Um, who knows about the coaching situation and all that stuff? I'm sure. Oh wow, Doug McDermott lost a tooth. Um, but um, anyway, uh, I think just as just in terms of fun factor. And theoretically speaking, I would like to see Kate on the Timberwolves. I would actually like to see. It would be really fun to watch. He could be. He could be the the Tyrese Halliburton connecting piece between all this stuff to make this work. My, like he would be an incredible connecting piece. I saw a good tweet about this, but I hope whoever drafts Cade doesn't try to turn him into like a point guard. To me, you need to make he's him an off wing. guard. He's a wing. Like he's just yeah. a all around do it all wing. Like. He can pass, but he can also score. He could shoot off the dribble. Like he makes winning plays. He makes off ball plays, off ball defensive plays. Like just make him a wing. So after easy answer. Obviously, obviously, I knew about him before. We talked about this before the season about how I loved Kate Cunningham. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> as we've as we've now seen him more and more over the course of this year, and then you've gotten to know him more and more as a player. The it makes me really sad now that we probably won't get a Lamelo Cade backcourt because Lamelo is so good already. <laughs> yeah, and it's they're probably really... going to make the playoffs. <laughs> it, it, the, the Hornets are the eighth seed, dude. Yeah, they're the eighth seed. Like they're they would obviously be in the playing part of the playoffs, but like I did not expect the Horn. I'm looking at my <laughs> I'm looking at my tier rankings right now. Right, that I had that we did before the season started. One, yeah, the Knicks are all the way in tier five. We'll watch no more than 10 games. Dot dot dot, probably is what I have the tier titled. And I have definitely watched more than 10 Knicks games this year. <laughs> yeah, and um, the Hornets I had in tier four, which is those extra fries you find at the bottom of the bag. And we joked how it was now there it's like the curly fry you found you find in the middle of regular fries. Now yeah. the Hornets are just straight up good curly fries. They're fun. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun. They have a lot of fun pieces. Gordon Hayward is having a, a year that's similar to his last season in Utah and why the Celtics signed him to that contract um, originally. And Terry Rozier is shooting 45% from three, averaging 20 points a game. It's Lamelo's finally starting. Like, it's really crazy. I did not expect, I I did not expect Lamelo to be this good this soon. I always yeah. thought his combination of passing and size is just something where it always baffled me when people questioned how good he would be, because to me he has two things you would want already in a guard ready to go: elite size and elite playmaking. I didn't and, expect the shooting. Yeah, the shooting is what has surprised me. <clears throat> so he's shooting 35% um, from three, right? But in his last 12 games, 13 games that he started, he's shooting 40% from three on nearly seven attempts per game. He's averaging 26 and set almost seven assists and almost two steals a game. He's using his IQ to play the passing lanes well. He's going to get bullied by people who weigh more than 150 pounds, but he'll fill out as his career goes along. I did not expect him to be this good this soon. And if he was starting, <clears throat> excuse me, and if he was starting from the beginning, 
and he was putting up these numbers, you would be an all-star in the East. Yeah. Like, now it's at the point where it's like, to me, like, he's the clear rookie of the year. I think Halliburton is also in his own tier, but it's a tier that's below LaMelo. Um, LaMelo is just... With, the thing with LaMelo, and it's so interesting now, now that he's starting, and it's it's happened the last, like, maybe five games. And I don't know how much you've watched him recently, but it's starting to get to the point where, like, he definitely really watched start- the sack game last night in the uh, the Suns yeah. game recently. He's um, starting. He's starting to feel himself, and yeah. he really it's getting terrifying because at the beginning of the season, and even when he first started starting, he was deferring quite a bit, and he was he was playing like a rookie. Like you could tell, like he's good, but you could tell that he's still trying to find his way, trying to find his place. James Borrego clearly, was like, "You can't, you you can't not play defense and turn the ball yeah. over as much as the Melo." And Lamello so now, has. Yeah. now he's starting to feel himself. He starts to know where he is. And the last five games, he's his confidence has like skyrocketed. Yeah, and you can really see it where he's taking these step back threes of like, "Yeah, okay, you're gonna back off. Cool, I'm gonna take the step back three, and he's draining it. And it's a thing where if he's draining that step back three, I honestly don't know how you guard him. Yeah, because he's so he's so big, he's so crafty around the basket that you have to play off because you can't give him that first step. But he's then, so crafty with his handle that he could get at any spot on the floor, and he doesn't really need a first step or anything. He just gets no. there. And then the, and the thing is, like on top of that, he has the passing, so you can't double because he's just going to find the open man. Yep. And then it and then you get stuck in rotation. And then if he's hitting this three, I don't know. Like, there's no he has you in such a bind. Where it's like it's like watching Luca, but he's not obviously not as strong as Luca, and Luca's a little more uh, consistent. But the thing is, like Lamelo has that craftiness to get to the basket. He doesn't have like the speed, but he has the size and he has the passing ability. Yeah, and he's shoot and he's shooting at a high, he's shooting a better clip than than Luca is right now from three, and it's just opening up all of these different avenues that it's like. I don't know how you stop him, and then especially when he, when Rozier is this hot and Gordon Hayward is this hot, like you and can't Malik Monk shooters. is finding himself too. By the way, how about yeah. Malik Monk? Like I was, I was someone who was high on both Malik <laughs> I, Monk I and De'Aaron Fox. I never gave up on. I never gave up on Malik Monk, man. I always thought he was like instant offense. I thought he could yeah. be like, <laughs> yeah, I thought same. he could be the next like Lou Williams off the bench. And I was he's like, shooting this 40, is, he's shooting forty four percent from three on over five attempts per game. He's coming in off the bench, and basically he's doing what Devonte graham was doing last year uh coming off the bench um but dude lamello did you see the pass uh lamello did last night uh against the kings where he was in transition and he went up looked at the rim and looked like he was going to lay it up with his left hand but then he did a slide of hand still had his head oh, looking yeah, at yeah, the yeah. rim like he was going to do a layup and then he dropped it off to uh bismack biombo for a dunk like Lamelo is just such a heady player and he could see two steps ahead and it's really it's really just been it's been fun to watch I'm glad we got another good point guard in um you know I remember you know your podcast question last week where you mistakenly asked if Lamelo was a top 10 player and I almost had a heart attack but you <laughs> but you but I realized you were saying top 10 point guard you know and we were saying like yeah you know he Actually, we were going down the list. We were like, yeah, you know, he actually might be. But he, he's he been playing like one, man. Like, the yeah. Hornets are in the playoffs. And LaMelo's playmaking and offensive ability has been a big reason why. And uh, 
I know we talk about Lamelo all the time, but he's such a fascinating rookie because like, he really is. Lonzo Ball has been on fire after a slow start to the season uh, again, but we kind of knew he would start bouncing back. Now he's become an above-average starting guard. Lamelo is looking like he's going to be a superstar point guard for a long time. I think of Lamelo and John Morant in like the same category, like young point guards that I know especially after watching them after their rookie year. Like, because I felt this with Ja last year. I was like, I see like four special things a game that he does. Yeah. And he's competitive. And he has that, he he has that gamer, I guess, if you want to use a cliche term. Like, there's a give a shitness in in close games that you, you're just like, okay, Ja, ja is not scared at the moment. And LaMelo Ball is like, one of the most confident rookies I have. He had seen. that last night. He had that last night when he when the the they were down to the Kings. Yeah, and he was like, he just drove his team down the down the court every time, and like got good shots and mm-hmm. brought them back. It was yeah, impressive for from a rookie. The thing I will say though is like, and we talked we talked about this the other night when you're we talking about trading cards. So full disclosure. uh, I'm a big card collector, so I had I sent in a whole bunch of uh, 19, 2019 Prism rookies, so the top rookie cards. I sent them in to PSA to get graded. I got them all back, uh, and so we were talking about that a little bit. And I was saying I don't trust John ja Morant or Zion in terms of like investment opportunities because they're just going to get hurt. Yeah, uh, they just like Ja has that hurt that that D Rose herky jerkiness that like just scares me every time I watch them play. Mm-hmm. And so over longevity, I would actually trust LaMelo more just because I think like he just has the body and he has the gameplay or the game, the game plan where it's like, yeah, I'm just going to play my speed. John Morant lands in a way that reminds me of young Derek Rose. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's straight freaks, leg, yeah. straight leg kind of um, last year. There was a game against the Rockets where he fell down and bent backwards, and I thought he tore his knee up. Like I thought he was, I thought Jaw was done, and it was after I think it was after a putback dunk. But he basically landed near a bunch of Rockets players, and he didn't bend his knees or anything. It was yeah. basically he straight leg falling down and letting the impact, letting all your legs get the impact, and almost looked like he tore up his knee and I almost had a heart attack just watching that. And yeah, you're right. In terms of volatility with Zion, the more I see him, well, maybe it's because he's so <laughs> freaking jarring to watch that. I forget about my health concerns with him, but like the longevity part of your case for LaMelo, it makes sense because Zion still kind of scares me. And then yeah, John Morant's, you know, landing. I wish, Somebody, somebody in the Grizzlies organization needs to teach him how to land properly, please. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty terrifying, and like, yeah, it it, it comes another thing too of like, man, how many times has Ja almost postered someone? Yep. And it's like every time I watch him try to do it, he does it, and it just looks so violent. And yeah. then he lands, and you're like, oh, dude, don't stop trying to yam on people, dude. It just it looks like you're gonna hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. uh well, and that's the but, but see at the same time as a double edged sword. That's like that's the thing I love about Jaw so much. Yeah, 
is that he's the same thing at level of rust too right like yeah rust it's it's like up. he's so fearless like if he had gotten that dunk off on kevin love last year <laughs> yeah i don't know what i would have done I thought I, right away. like i would have ran out the apartment i would have ran down the street <laughs> like I, I don't know what i would have done but john Dude. morant just tries daring shit and i love that about him uh just gotta thing. hope jaron jackson you know stays healthy for once in his life and you know the grizzlies have young talent everywhere justice winslow is back my guy lefty gang justice winslow season i hope to god he brandon can stay healthy. yeah brandon clark um xavier tillman desmond bain oh by the way surprise surprise desmond bain a 6-8 wing who can shoot surprise surprise translates to the nba i don't know why every time like a player like Desmond Bain falls, everyone's like, oh, wow. Like, I'm so shocked that he's doing this good as a second rounder. I was like, I wanted the Sixers to take Desmond Bain as he was falling. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. Like, if he's, you know, if he falls to the th- early 30s, I want the Sixers to get him. And they didn't get him. A bunch of teams passed up on him. And now everybody has the Pikachu meme shocked face when Desmond Bain, a guy who was a awesome three-point shooter in college and could defend multiple positions because of his size, is surprise, surprise, doing the same thing <laughs> yeah it's uh did i mention xavier hey tillman too by the way on yes. the grizzlies okay we need we need to we need to make these shirts these long boy shirts because <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we need to spread the gospel of the long boy <laughs> um, i might let you take the charge on that one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just want I just want a shirt that says "Long Boy" and everyone's gonna be like, "What the fuck?" Everyone's gonna be like, "No, you know, hell is this?" You're just gonna be like, "Hey, man, you just gotta know the gospel of the Long Boy." No, like, no, for real though. Like, I don't know why we were shocked with Desmond Bain. There's a few others. Like, this is this draft is really fun. By the way, this rookie class. Like, I think everybody was shocked at how good it was already but i think it's only good because we all knew they were going to be high level role players or guys who were ever who were going to play a role immediately in the nba based on their skill sets right like we said this was the draft for role players and you know star role players even and it's bearing out that way i mean you know patrick williams peyton pritchard in boston um you know obviously lamello is the key gym in that class there's a few gyms in there that have the potential to you know supersede the entire class like james wiseman even though i want him to somehow develop better hands um but i mean lamello i don't i still don't know what anthony edwards is but i believe in that kid's work ethic and his attitude he's one of my favorite personalities already (laughs) in the nba he's absolutely he just seems like a really joyful solid dude and i never really bought into the stuff about his love for the game or whatever um i just think Teenagers are different now. They have different interests. And sometimes you don't have to watch a sport religiously to play a sport that you love. Um, He didn't, he never said he didn't watch basketball. He just, you know, he just didn't like watching basketball like that, I guess. I I don't know. Like, it seemed like his pre draft stuff, like always, is a little muddled. But, like, I like this working class, man. I think it's clear at this point that LaMelo's clearly tanked his first interviews. Oh, he clearly did. Clearly. (laughs) He wanted to go to the the Hornets, and, like, he clearly tanked these interviews. Yeah. Um, Could you imagine the Warriors with LaMelo? That'd be so much fun to watch. Yeah, that would be... 
that would be I maybe, I mean the Warriors Steph are a league pass team because of Steph alone, but Lamelo on the Warriors would have been oh man. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you could you imagine Lamelo on the Warriors next year with Steph and Clay? I know. Like, just like give Lamelo the ball and let Steph and Clay run around and fucking and Lamelo and Draymond can just spray people with passes. Lamelo oh, can even my cut. Lamelo could cut and Draymond will f- imagine like Lamelo cutting baseline and Draymond like doing like a bounce pass down the middle, like a high low pass, it off and then Lamelo he- gets cut off and then he does a pass to Steph in the corner, like shit like that, dude. <laughs> that would have been basketball nirvana. Yeah. It- it would have been pretty insane. And I'm curious if, like, anyone in the Warriors organization is kicking themselves. Probably not, because I, I still do like Wiseman a Me lot. Me too. I still like Wiseman. Um, but, yeah. I, I'm just not is, sure if his, hand, something different. his hands... The a lot of, A lot of skills, you know, there are people... when There are skills that are tough to develop, but there are examples of where they do develop that type of skill. Like, I think passing is something you get better at but unless you're a natural reader there's a ceiling cap on how good you could be as a passer but i think carl anthony towns is breaking that mold because i think he's making he's made some advanced reads the last few years that i'm like he never made that before um this is consistency with him but he sees him yeah and it, it like there's just feel stuff that is rarely tough to improve on within certain skills, right? But there are examples of them, and I hope Wiseman can develop better hands because hands are something that is has had a spotty track record in terms of improvement. Like, um, yeah, and, you know, you see we Wiseman all the time, botching dunks, before. duckins, all that. We talked that. about it before. We're like, yeah, he he'll get the ball in positions where I'm like, dude, this is an easy layup or an easy dunk, and he'll just like fumble it and you're like oh, okay well there goes that chance or the thing where he'll like, go up with it and the ball flies out of his hands yeah <laughs> and shit like that Stuff like that yeah and you know it, it's it's the dwight howard hands like don't don't don't, don't do that <laughs> <laughs> like um, i have never seen good slash bad hands at the same time you, you've seen it dwight will go up <laughs> snag an offensive rebound one-handed and you're like oh yeah just go back up and dunk it and he'll go back up and he'll either lose the ball or he'll miss the dunk no or he'll brick him. the backboard and no one will touch him <laughs> or he'll get fouled and not finish the easy and one or he'll go up for a lob fumble it or you know of course you know he's starting to feel himself a little bit on this team and whenever i just want doc to tell dwight no dribble handoffs for you. Do not dribble the ball <laughs> one time. <laughs> like, I don't want him anywhere near any offensive initiation type of role. <laughs> and But then Dwight will just fumble it. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting to think, like, the I, the video I brought back up, and I, I posted this, and I think I tagged you in it, too, of uh, talking about the post. And, like, it was Shaq and, yeah. and, and Chuck doing kind of a lesson on how to post up. And something that I noticed during the... Cavs or during the Mavericks game, the Mavericks and Nets uh, game. Yeah, because I, I, did you watch that game? I watched. The, I watched a lot. I watched a lot of the first half. The first half, they were doing a great job punishing the Nets down low and just posting up Kristaps, which is something that I thought they should have been doing. I brought this up before. They should have been doing from the the previous game they played them, where it's like, yeah, Kristaps, you're you have Jeff Green on you. Yeah, you have like a foot and a half advantage. You just go in there and post up. The problem was that he was catching it so far out that he couldn't he couldn't back down or he couldn't have the space to back down. 
and then he was yeah. taking these fadeaway jumpers, which is like, okay, that's not the shot you want. The idea of it is correct, but like this isn't the correct shot. Like, you want it closer. And I was like, dude, Chris, if you just take a step in and then post up, like you could get to the basket so easy. You could, yeah, he, he was getting point. in on duckins and stuff like that, which was pretty nice. Um, I still go. And some, oh, sorry. It's, go something ahead. That, it's something that you see from like good post up players, like Jokic does it, and even like Marcus All and AD do it, where Embiid. like they get and the, B, they all post up correctly where they get it as deep as possible. Um, like you want to, the thing that Shaq and, 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 uh, Chuck both point out and it's something that's super true. And it's something that they teach kids. I learned this as a kid and you probably do too as a oh, yeah. player. You yep. get, you get deeper than you want to be. And then when they push you out, then you're right where you need to be. Yeah. Where I, when you watch Kristaps post and even Dwight and all these other guys post, they post where they want to be. And then when they get pushed out, they're like almost at the three point line. And you're yeah. like, you're catching it almost at the three point line. You're like, dude, you need to post deeper. And then you get pushed out, and then you catch it on the block. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, that's not – this is – it's it's sort of like a boomer statement here, but it's like the lost art of the post where it's like this – people forget how to post. I so, – so I – so I know we talked about it last week, and I do think sometimes the Mavs could do good taking advantage of Chris Stapp's size. But to me, it's also – if you're not a good post player, like I don't want to run post-ups through you, like – yeah, what the what the Mavericks did, I thought was really smart. They got Chris Stapps more on duckins, where it's easy to establish your position, so you get a quick absolutely finish. I think posting up in the half court, which is what we were talking about, Shaq and Chuck, they end up at the right destination, but take fifty wrong turns before they yeah. get there. I think they want Chris Stapps to post up more in the half court, and just you, I don't want. Chris Stapps as a half court post up player, and if I do, I want him there. I, I want, want him, him there to shoot guy. over the top. Like that's yeah, that's, that's the that's one. That's all I want from him. I yeah, that's all I want. I don't from... want him to make a. I don't want him to make a move. I want him to post up and turn and fire. Yeah, and that's what I is, want. But the thing is, like he's turning and firing like mid range, where I want him turn and fire like a hook in the post, because you can get your shot. Like, I don't think he has the skills for a hook shot. I would say well, not even. A, not even a hook, just like a little lane. He has a foot and a half. Yeah. On Jeff Green, like, dude, if you just turn, if you're, if you catch it correctly on the post and turn, it's right there. Yeah. Or um, like he's catching it and making it a little more difficult of shot. He's a talented player, so he can hit this fadeaway mid-range jumper, but it's not ideal when you have a foot and a half over Jeff Green. Yeah, but uh, I also think again, it's it's hard for him to establish post position or carve out real estate because he is seven three and six feet of it is legs like i would mention last <laughs> pod um so that's why i would say like i wouldn't even mind him shooting fadeaways like dirk like i think he has the shot to the shot mechanics to do it um but i still like him as a pop out guy and that opens up a lot of things offensively that way i think he's also starting to play better just because like we were saying at the beginning of the season we knew Chris Stapps was going to be out for a while. It was just how when is he going to come back and how long is it going to take for the rest to fall off? He still does. I don't think he's ever going to be the same athletic wise and mobility wise that he was in New York. Um, yeah. But he still has a skill set where he could pop out. He's a big that pops out to three that lifts the big out of the paint, and I think that provides value. I just don't know if I'd be running post ups for him all the time like 
everybody clamors for him to do. I think there are moments. There are definitely things you should. I'm yeah, all about improvising. Say, I, don't, it. I don't want him to. I don't want him to post up every game, and I yeah. don't think that should be their main form of attack. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, when you have Jeff Green on you, you got to post him up. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you oh yeah. Post of course. <laughs> like, but uh, it's a, it's weird because I still don't like the discourse when Shaq and Chuck talk about Embiid because now like Embiid is posting up a bit more and he's getting to the line more and stuff. But to me, like his shot profile, one, it's way efficient, but it's it's also the same relatively. But they're like, oh, he's posting up more and he finally figured out that he was. 7-2 and bigger than everybody else but when you really look at Embiid's game yeah he's a dominant post player but what's really lifted his game this year is his and I can't believe I'm saying this because he's a 7-2 280 pound player his dribble pull-up game has been elite this year <laughs> <laughs> like he's a three-level scorer man and it's like he's not He's not dominating just because he's a dominant post-up player. He's dominating because he's shooting Dirk-like percentages from mid-range, and he has a fucking hezzy pull-up. <laughs> a hezzy pull-up at the free-throw line. Like, it's ridiculous. And so, like, I still don't like the Discord sometimes when <laughs> Shaq and Chuck talk about, or when they yearn for their yesteryear, or their centers of yesteryear and stuff like that. But, you know, they they have their opinions, just like we all have ours, but I... Chris Stapps as a post player, yeah, let's do it once in a while, but not all the time. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I think we're we're in agreement. I, my thing was just like Chris Stapps, I need you to post up deeper. Jeff Green, you have Jeff Green, Jeff Green. Yeah, <laughs> it was exactly. So, it was so frustrating to watch because it was a thing of like when you're that much bigger, you can't settle for this turnaround fade from the from yeah. the from the mid. The Mavericks like, used him in a very smart and correct way that I would have. Yeah, that the way they used him in the first half was was great. And also, shout out to the Mavs for winning that night because the Sixers suffered a bad loss to the Cavs. Yeah, <laughs> and they, uh, we needed them to lose so they could stay behind in the East standings. <laughs> yeah, it, again, I, I'm very impressed with how the Mavs played that game. But uh, yeah, they uh, they 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 earned that win. Uh, yeah, obviously, no no KD, no Kyrie, but. They still earned that win, and uh, they pretty much dominated from tip. So very, yeah. very excited to see, especially with how their season's gone. I'm very excited to see that that they were able to do that. Yep, we'll we'll find out in the uh, after the All Star break to see if the Mavs uh, will. Win. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think we should. Uh, I think that's a. I I think that's about all I have today. What about you? Do you have anything you wanted to add before we dip? Yeah, no, I'm. I think I'm good. Uh, we have All Star game coming up this week, and. Uh, we'll probably talk about Already? that a little bit next week. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, so we have, we have All Star Weekend coming up. Uh, I'm still praying that we get Lamelo Skills Contest and Zion in the Dunk Contest. Those would be the dreams for me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably talk next week. We'll probably talk about the All Star Game, and I also do want to get uh, do a update on our tier list for next week too yeah i've got to update my tier list now um yeah so we'll, we'll do we'll do we'll do post all-star break upda- updated tier list next yeah week. yeah for sure for sure you want to do east or west first because i think, feel like this would be a two-parter episode yeah uh i'm not sure we'll we'll figure it out but uh, we'll figure we'll it out it surprise we'll keep a surprise for the audience yeah stay tuned that's what we call <laughs> the radio biz a tease <laughs> All right. And just remember, guys, it's not how hard you come. Or it's not when you come. It's how hard you come. Uh, <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed. The B.O.B. <laughs> <laughs>